Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of One Mike Night Artist Studio. My name is Marcos Luis. This is the podcast where we're taking you inside the studio of artists in their environment, and you can see the work process while we talk to them. Thank you all for joining me. If you haven't already, make sure you slide on down, click the follow sign, follow me on all the social media. We're at One Mike Night. One Mike Knight is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. We're on Instagram, Facebook. We are on Tumblr. And make sure you follow the audio podcast, which is on every platform available. You can find us on iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Apple Music, you name it. Just do it. Thank you guys for all joining me. Today, I'm excited. My guest is a singer. He's a songwriter. He's a musician. He is phenomenal. Please welcome Christopher Hackett to One Mike Nights Artist Session. How you doing, Christopher? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you for joining me. Do you, so first of all, do you prefer Chris or Christopher? Which one is better? Um, for you? Generally Christopher these days, but I'm totally okay. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, I have questions. Okay. <laughs> Go in. Go right all in. Right? The first question is, who is Christopher Hackett? Who's Christopher Hackett? Mm. Oh, that's a big question. You starting out yeah. out of the gate. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a 55-year-old musician. Um, I live in Monterey, California. But if you can tell from the way I say that, you can tell I am from New York, um, <laughs> where I'm born and raised. I'm a Queens boy. Um, and I grew up in Flushing, Queens. I was born in Flushing Hospital. Um, and then um, raised a family in Westchester. Um, I actually started playing music back in Queens, carried it into Westchester into the 90s, doing the alternative kind of scene mm. um, and rocking out during that time. And there was a great local scene happening in this town called Portchester, New York in the 90s, had to beat. Uh, it was this great club there and Nirvana played there, Smashing Pumpkins. Wow. Oh, man. And so like in this little teeny club, like with no stage, Nirvana was like right, right. there, like at the beginning of their tour. So. One of my Super all-time excited. favorite bands, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just mind-blowing. Like, yeah. they were just there. And that, for that, it was one of those moments in, in life, you know, where something's happening. Everyone knows it. It's, right. It could be really small, and it can be anywhere, right? East Village, Port Chester, Williamsburg. There's just a moment, like, where it like, gets captured. And that was cool to kind of be a part of that. Raised my family, um, did lots of things along the way. Um, you know, fun stuff, you know, that, that takes you on your journey, like working at Tower Records back when record stores were the thing up till midnight, closing the store and people buying incense and albums. Oh, records. Wow. Take me back. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. super fun. Right. Yeah. And like, so I lived that life, like doing that, you know, as many musicians do, having multiple lives that we inhabit. Right. 
doing dad, doing earning, trying to do music, playing live shows, trying to stick in tours and do those kind of things. Well, I fast forward, um, I decide, you know, all those things have happened in my life and in a moment I want to come out West, something I always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so hang on, before you even, before you even talk about that, I want to, I want to backtrack too. How did, how did you get started in music? Where did the, where did the music come from or where, where did being an artist come from? Because mm-hmm. I'm going to assume, and I may be wrong in the assumption, but you're more than just a musician. So I, I feel like your art manifests in a lot of different ways. So how did you, where, where did, where did all the artistry come from? Well, um, I was kind of born an artist. I think everyone's an artist, really, I do. I think it's whether it, it, it has been nurtured. And my mother is an artist. Um, she has a master's degree in art. She's an art therapist. Um, and in my baby book, which I recently found, I'm two years old and there's a picture of her, Christmas 1968, and I have an easel. And I'm painting, you know, and I had my robe on and it's Christmas morning, you know, in the 60s. Right. And there I am. And I think she nurtured that spirit in me. Um, and, you know, um, life wasn't that easy when I was young and I really struggled trying. I felt very different from everybody else. I wasn't sports oriented. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I didn't um, I wasn't super I didn't feel academically great or anything like that. But um, art was something that differentiated me in a very suburban area of Queens where everyone just seemed to I fit in. I had a different spirit. And in junior high school, I, I was like, I need to get out. <laughs> I need to get out of Queens. Yeah, yeah. I, I think many people know what that feeling right. is like. A lot of us go through it in junior high. Wherever, yeah. Yeah. Wherever you are. But yeah, I right. get it. Sometimes you want to get out of your family. Right. Yeah. You also something. Get out of everything. Right? <laughs> It's, it's, it's just that point in life. I think when you reach that, that age, you're starting to figure some things out or question some things or whatever the situation is, but you don't, you got to get out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we all go through and it. And so art, art and design, which is a school in Manhattan, um, had a test and I took it in eighth grade and I had pretty rudimentary skills and um, I drew some cartoons and things like that. And I made it. And it was the first thing I ever achieved wow. in my life. Like, really, I felt like I achieved on my own merit. No one owned it. It wasn't attached to anything. No one had ever done it. My brother didn't do it. Who was a doctor and had always been this, like, perfect student. You know? Right. Oh, and I'm this younger brother. Like, how do you beat that? <laughs> you know? was, it, was that a problem for you? Did you always feel a comparison to the brother? So much. So yeah, much. Yeah. Um, from everyone, from myself, probably to from myself, definitely. And yeah, it's really hard to keep up with someone who's three years older and so smart and seems to know what they want to do. And you're this free spirit kind of, I always was, you know? Yeah. And I made this test and, and suddenly I found myself taking a bus down to Main Street Flushing and hopping on the seven train and then taking seven train to a store and hopping on what was then the double R my portfolio getting off at 59th street walking down three oh, wow in junior high That's well no high school now high school four okay years. high school four right. years so yeah i got I, I made it in eighth grade so i went early ninth grade so 9 10 11 12 and um that was a long trip when i think about it i wonder how i did it i was young yeah, <laughs> lots of energy that is you know? Going into the to the big city, you know, for those of the people who are listening now, you know, going from the borough, from Queens or Brooklyn or someplace else to go into Manhattan, you know, that's a big deal. 
that's a, a big, big deal. deal. Yeah. And what was really cool, and I think art and design, um, my interestingly, my music flourished at that point, started to grow, because I think that to answer your first question, mm -hmm. I had started in the visual arts, but when I got there, I, well, it was not a but, and when I got there, the artistry was incredible. There were people that were so elevated, and I, I felt like I just squeaked in, you know? Right. Um, by sheer will, there were people that had really developed their talent that had put in time that I just clearly hadn't. And at that time, you know, I could start playing guitar and I got some chords and I'm like, I'm pissed. And <laughs> were, you, were you taking private lessons in or were you, you know, I, teaching yourself? Interestingly, yeah. I guess this is, you mentioned my brother, you asked about my brother. He had started on guitar and I started on piano. And um, I started, picked up his acoustic guitar at this nylon string in the living room and I started to get better. And he gave it up. It's oh, so wow. interesting you said that. Wow. That's <laughs> See, funny. maybe the only thing I ever took from him wow. was the guitar. And then he just like lost interest. And I didn't want to get stuck with that the big piano there. And I got into the Rolling Stones and into blues. They turned me into Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. And I'm like 15, 16, searching out. Back then, Manhattan was filled with all these old record shops, which are really hard to find these days. But you could find on blues records um, before you could stream anything you wanted. Right. You know, you had to find it. You had to find it. Did you, so did you spend a, you spent a lot of time in the record shops? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, going to art school was this was like a door opening. So when you get there um, from this kid from Queens and I'm in a what, you know, if you have a you no know, New York layout, I'm in a one fair zone. So I had to take, you know, one fair to get to there, actually two fair zone. I have to go one to get to the train and then the train somewhere else which makes it extra difficult so you get to manhattan and there's this worldly group of people andy warhol once walked by the school we're all like you know we're all yeah. artists and there's all these interesting people around and everyone from the school unlike local school came from boroughs so there were kids from brooklyn the bronx manhattan it's queens we all took the subway into school we all thought we were super cool right we're 15 or 16 and you were that's the thing is you, <laughs> because, we still think we were right, and, you, and you were because that's what everybody dreams about you know what i mean every artist dreams about being in new york city at that time so yeah. you were you actually were yeah it was so great it was the early 80s we yeah. it was fantastic we've all kind of reconnected you know on social media these days um and there was something really special about that time yeah. all of us no matter what we did some um, i know you know people become tattoo artists and fine artists commercial artists um cartoonists uh, but it, there's an attachment that brought us all together and it really taught me so much about diversity um backgrounds um socioeconomics because we yes. suddenly weren't in a neighborhood anymore absolutely we were this hub right and we all came from these different places and you know a key to remember is a lot of that information was very limited back then for the kids who are off. Absolutely. No internet, yeah. no, no smartphones. Right. You know, what you learned, what I learned about Manhattan, I learned in the Village Voice. That was it. Right, yeah. That's how you knew what was happening. New Yorker Magazine. Yeah. Village Voice. Um, you knew what gigs were playing, who was coming to town. You kind of learned about everything, good, bad, dirty, clean right. happened in a village voice and yeah so for the art school kids we got really turned on to that and that was what led me into punk rock and doing that whole thing 
I love that because, you know, like we just said, that was a special time. That's where, you know, all these people in music history that we hold, you know, high, that's where they all started. You know, you're talking about the clubs and the, and the, 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 the schooling that people had in New York City, bringing all these cultures together, which created a bang in music and arts. Everyone wanted to be here. Everyone wanted to be here. You know, I, I myself wanted to be here. That was even before I was an artist because I was I grew up thinking I was going to be a doctor. Oh, you always go. dream about you know going to New York City. I was in I was in Pennsylvania at the time, but you always dream about going to New York City and you know what it's like and what it's like the arts and the music and the shows and the this and the that. So yeah, that's yeah. that's beautiful. And there's still so much excitement there. And I just had a bunch of friends um, from out here in California who went all together, and they were like, "Oh, you know, the whole New York <laughs> experience." Sending me pictures. I'm like, I know exactly where you are, but did you get a bagel? You know, right. <laughs> like, let's get real. And where was the best one? So, you know, um, but at that time, it was also a really different city, much more raw. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how so? Yeah. What do you 70s. mean? What do you mean? Um, it, it was ne- nearly as gentrified. It was a lot. There were a lot of um, areas that were a lot more dangerous. Like, you know, when you went to Alphabet City, Alphabet City was tough. When we played gigs in CBGBs, there was a methadone clinic upstairs. And, you know, um, you had to watch your, like, you'd come out with our equipment, all these kids, like, and they were all cool with us, but there'd all be these kids coming in from Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey to play gigs, punk rock gigs, play whatever gigs were happening at CBGBs. And there's this whole thing happening on the streets, you know, and you watch your stuff and people come up and like, hey, you know, love your music, you right. know, people yeah. start rapping with you. Classic New York kind of stuff, like, like a Scorsese, you know, yeah, right. happening in the streets. Now that's a John Varvato store and there's a Whole Foods. It's a completely different, a whole different thing. It says yeah. Joey Ramone and it's not the same. Right. And um, that's not, you know, judgment on it, it's just different. Right. But I think working in those conditions um is really rich soil for arts right absolutely you you need a little of everything you do in that all that nutrients to go um and that's where you said these little segments grow like the what was the lower east side if Mm -hmm. you think of what came out of there from the late 60s on from lou reed to patty smith to blondie talking heads um, and then everybody came. Love it. Like, like everybody came. The Even police, the pretenders, the like, music scene, the poetry scene. You know what I mean? Like all that stuff in there, in the village. Absolutely. You know, both. Yeah. And that attracted it. because that new arts were coming up, mm-hmm. and then young people at that time, like Bruce Springsteen, like just young coming out, poets bringing all that. Then you had the really happening fashionably bringing it. You know, Studio Fifty Four is happening. Diana Ross is coming. Yes. Jackers yes. coming. Grace Jones is coming. David Bowie's coming. Iman's coming. And now this whole thing happened. You know, it, it's a little different now. Um, well, very different in New York now because. <laughs> a lot of the art artists have been kind of pushed into other areas of New York, not sure. necessarily out of New York, but not in that. Particular not in that area location. Right. right. Yeah. Let me, I'm going to backtrack just a minute because you mentioned CBGBs. Let's talk about CBGBs for a minute. That was the birthplace of punk rock, rock. Uh, what else? You know, it was oh, like the center. Yeah. Which was <laughs> everything. <laughs> everything. Right. So this, this place was back, I guess it was founded back in about 1973. And a sad day when it closed back in 2006. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, really sad. I played one of our last shows during those like final shows there because we were kind of a, you know, um, kind of one of the pivotal bands there that started playing there, the band that I came from. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it started out as like, you know, country bluegrass and blues, right? That's what it was supposed to be. And it morphed into as the punk rockers found it, you know, I believe probably through television and the Ramones history tells that story. Um, kind of opened the door for the punk rock crowd to say, God, you know, back then just to find a place that would let you play. Right. Yeah. If you were the Ramones or the New York Dolls or someone doing something or All right. So, you know, um, you know, back then it was a really different area. Um, the Lower East Side, um, Alphabet City, that that whole area. Um, it And, you know, it's become much more gentrified now. And what where CBGB's was at that time is, you know, now John Varvatos. It's a much cleaner, um, safer neighborhood. You know, that was the Bowery and the Bowery, you know, was famous for being, you know, just a, a very different place than it is today. And um, that was, again, it was an introduction to bands and music and lifestyles and perspectives that I, it opened a world. Again, Manhattan just kept unfolding for oh, this yeah. young kid, right? First the artist and I met my first punk rockers in, you know, art in art and design where I went to school and that, you know, back then, you know, safety pins and army jackets and all these thrift shops that kind of existed in Manhattan. Yeah, what, what was the, what was the punk rock scene like? Because a lot of people, you know, it's kind of a quiet, you know, a special niche right now. Not many people know about the punk rock scene from back then. What was that like for you? What what exactly was it? Well, you know, for me, what is it? I should say. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot there. of things. Yeah, it's a lot of things, and there's much uh, more uh, versed people on it than myself. You know, and I think of people like John Joseph of the Cro-Max, who's just like really knows New York City, right? Really grew up in the scene. He's a he's a city kid, um, but. You know, there's like classic punk, you know, what people think about like British punk. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of like, you know, punk rock of like Ramones era punk. Um, and we're a little bit post that, like a subgenre, sub um, what I call hardcore punk. And we were like the Ramones sped up um, fast. Really, our biggest influence was the Bad Brains. Mm -hmm. um from washington dc yeah. um and the mob the genesis of the mob was seeing them on an early early show at cbgb's when they went to see um who was it they went to see um one of the richards richard lloyd um oh gosh it's escaping me right now anyway they went to see a guitarist um and um, they ended up seeing the wrong guitar player, but the Bad Brains are opening. They had just come up. It was pre-dreadlocks. They were still kind of doing a Sex Pistols League kind of thing with HR with the sport jacket. And they just blew who what would be the Bob away. You know, the guys that saw it were like, oh, my God, we're forming a band, which is the classic <laughs> genesis of right. every band, right? Oh, my yeah. God, we're forming a band. Yeah, just get together. That's the way yeah. it, it, it was and it is right. even to this day, even though maybe garage rock is different now. Just artists coming together in their bedrooms, writing beats, doing what they're doing. It's the same thing. Oh, my gosh, I can do that. Yeah. 
And I that's can do that. I, you play drums, you play this, you play that. I, let's get together. I can do it. Yeah. And the mob was formed in kind of the wake of the Bad Brains, like protégés of the Bad Brains for a really long time. Jack patterned his guitar style after Dr. No. We did everything Bad Brains. And that also was an introduction to dub and reggae, mm, Rastafari, yeah. all these yeah. things that were like, again, unfolding, right, for right. me. And so the mob, just like the Bad Brains, would play these searingly fast, as fast as we could play sets and then like fall into like a dub set. And just everyone would kind of rec recuperate from all the craziness of what was happening. And then- Because that's high energy. That's a lot of energy oh, happening. Oh my that's gosh. It was, it was a blast, you know, watching it. Um, you know, and it's funny because the music, playing the music, I have a lot of interest in music. Um, reggae and soul music and early yeah, I was going to say, where did your where do your inspiration come from? Because it sounds like you take take it from a lot of different genres of music. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, my earliest influences are soul music, R and B music, and the reason is I have a re I had a really cool uncle. I still do, Uncle Lewis, and um, Uncle Lewis was married to a black woman in 1971, and like really Afrocentric life, very different than most kids up upbringing in Queens, mm -hmm. you know, growing up in a really Irish Catholic white neighborhood. Here comes my uncle, right? Married to a really beautiful young black woman having an interracial mixed family and blasting WBLS and hustling records downtown. He knew a lot of record company execs. He sang in doo-wop groups in the fifties and knew a lot of people so he'd hook up with all these records and we'd go trade them and he'd like trade maybe 50 records at these record shops to get like five cool records and you know earth wind and fire and um the commodores and funkadelic and parliament mm, um, yeah. al green right. um all that stuff was stuff i was listening to growing up as well as the stuff that was on the radio like am radio which was kind of a mix of just all kinds of stuff and I just have this really strong foundation in that. And he turned me on to rock and roll, you know, through, you know, at that time for me, the late 60s, early 60s, 70s, like the blend of R&B and rock and roll is really tight. Like it's so close. People recording each other's songs, you know, Creedence Clearwater's right. recording a song, mm -hmm. Tina Turner and Ica covering it like right away. Beatles record, Hey Jude, it's still in the charts. Wilson Pickett records it with Dwayne Allman. And it's beautiful. Like, I don't know if that exists anymore, but right. you get every, every now and then, yeah, you do get one or two, but yeah, you're right. You get this I like where they were really tight, you know? Yeah. And um, that turned me on to things like the Rolling Stones who turned me on to blues and, and all these kind of things. That's my roots, that's my heart. Um, but my entryway was hardcore punk through the mob because they were playing live shows and they were three years older than me. And I was the youngest guy in the group. Once upon a time, I was the youngest guy. <laughs> That's funny. So tell, tell, tell us about your group. Tell us about the mob. So the mob um, is a group formed in Queens in Jackson Heights. Um, and it's basically Jack, Ralph, and Jose, um, really, and Jamie came along on the drummer were the genesis of the mob. And they literally met in high school, childhood friends, started playing in a garage, um, and formed the mob after seeing the Bad Brains, right? 
it's a really simple story. They were like, we're going to do it. Except you talk, took four black dudes from DC uh-huh. playing high speed stuff, handed down to these four white kids in Queens trying to take it and do it back again, you know? That's and funny. it's just funny how music works, right? right? Yeah. Like how any culture works and how the arts work. Right. Which, is, which goes back to what we just talked about. You know, you play the drums, you can play the guitar and let's, get a band we can Let's, do this we could do it yeah yeah and it, it's it i think for so many people it's that inspiration and right. um so those guys started out and jack who passed away two years ago um was just this incredible force he just this red-headed big guy he played wicked guitar he was so good um and he went to nyu he was smart as a whip um and he ended up continuing his career he toured with the beastie boys and uh, Murphy's Law and got in and then ended up being the manager of Clutch and Gore and a bunch of bands all the way till his passing. And but at that point, he was emerging as that. Right. And he got all in on the DIY kind of stuff. Um, and he was doing mailing list and they created a single and then another single. Um, and early, it's rumored that the mob actually recorded the first hardcore punk single ever from New York. Wow. Right. Like 1980, the first. And if you go to Niagara Club, what used to be A7 was a scene club on the corner of of Avenue A and 7. There's a plaque and the mob is on it as one of the the originators of punk rock. But little Chris wasn't in the band yet because I'm younger than that. (laughs) And so I'm like, they're doing this and they're like 17 and I'm like 14 playing in my room to Rolling Stone Records, imagining I'm Keith Richards. That's like where I'm at. And I meet Jack at um, a restaurant we worked at. And he was a bartender and kind of a wild guy, but he, he buttoned it up, you know? And, you know, I, I was playing him some songs. We were talking about it. And he, you know, I'm um, hanging out, smoking and kind of doing that kind of stuff. And he's like, oh, I got to play you something hard, you know? And he plays it at Vampire. So I'm like, what the hell is this? I've never heard anything like this. And he's like, I've got a record. I'm like, you got a record out. I've got a cassette I recorded in my bedroom, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and they were like stars to me, you know? Right, yeah. And um, I started hanging out with them partying, hanging out. I started roading for Jack. I kind of became his protege. Jose's playing bass and they're, pl- they're opening for the Ramones now. And so at that time, punk rock is not a very uh, lucrative business. No one made any money. This was way before anyone made money. We did everything ourselves. There were no record companies involved. If you were the Ramones, they were like a rarity, like you're a really big group. Right. Like a true um, independent artist. Happened. Right. We were like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we were trying to scramble for gigs at like Lemoore's and Green Sleeves and all these local clubs, you know, uh, Max's Kansas City, CBGB, like you're trying to get into anything you could get in. And I do my first like little East Coast tour with the mob. Um, I guess I'm in, I've just graduated high school. Like, so it's right around that time I joined the mob and that's where my, I kind of dovetail into really being a musician um, and getting my intro to them. And what a group, you know, we were on again and off again for over 30 years. Um, We're totally brothers. We're we're all original members. Um, And Jose, the bass player, we were actually brothers-in-law for like 30 years. And so he played bass and then I, I replaced him and I played bass. Then he came back and played bass and I played guitar and we're so tight. We're tight to this day. I play him all my music, anything I write, I send to Jose. We talk about it. I, if he doesn't like it, I don't play. (laughs) (laughs) So like we really are brothers, you know? Right. I love this. I love the story. First of all, let's, you know, being one of the first 
you know, pioneers of punk music, that that's huge. And then for you to join, you know, this, maybe not at the time, but, you know, group that was doing something that's, that's historical now, like how, how is that? How does it, how do you feel about that now? It, you know, it's, it's incredible. It's humbling because when you're doing these things, um, you have no idea. You're just doing it because you feel like it's good. Right. It's the thing to do. You feel proud of it. We loved our speed. We loved what we did. We loved our message, which was always, you know, rock against racism. And we were always, you know, um, um, it, it, it was a very positive movement, PMA, right? That was right. the bad brains thing, positive mental attitude, um, acceptance, right? And, you know, and that's what the scene represented. You could show up at that scene, it looks so scary, it looks so rough from the outside, it looks right. so, but inside was this beauty. And now, you know, you're like, you're kind of an adult or I've grown up, that was 35 years ago. And the mob is kind of this legendary band, right? Very unsung um, and not promoted as much as a lot of contemporaries like the Cro-Mags and, um, oh gosh, um, you know, so many bands of that era. Um, and it, you know, I think it, it almost speaks to the punk ethos more, you know, that yeah. the mob existed in what the mob was, do it yourself, never made it big, just stayed what it was. We did two singles and a 12 inch and we stopped right there. Then we played shows and we had fun and we wrote some songs. We actually recorded a song in, uh, in, in like 2015 or something, but we really existed as, as the real entity. We never tried to be fake. We just tried to show up and play hardcore punk the way we felt it, the way our roots were always the same. And um, Jack was a real steward of that, like keeping that, like he didn't want to evolve it. It was like, this is what we do. We show up, we play minute and a half songs. We play as fast as we can. We do it when we're 20, we do it when we're 30, when we're 40. I love it, I love it. We still do it, you know? And, and I love that. I love that because there's, you know, that's the beauty in it is the authenticity of being an artist and being true to what you want to do. I love that. I it was just it. a real thing. Yeah, the real know? thing. And I played my last show with the mob um, the week the week, exactly a week before I moved to California for the, you know, and I was born and raised in New York and never left, lived all over New York. So I'm moving to California, I'm changing my life. And, and like, you know, it's whatever, we'll play shows. I didn't know that would be my last show with the mom. I didn't know that Jack would pass away two years later. Um, but we play this show at Generation Records down in the village in the basement, surrounded by record bins. Um, and all these cool people show up, all old friends and guys from the scene and oh, wow. girls from the scene. And we're playing in this record shop, um, doing this promotion of this book for hardcore. And um, it was such a moment. I felt like we were back home. We we're literally five, six blocks from where we started at this record shop, just playing low budget. As a, a matter of fact, the, the like a full circle moment, full circle moment. Yeah, yeah. And in a classic spinal tap moment that every band experiences we set up the gear and the guy said it would be it, the, there would be a backstage lineup that means the gear is there and i show up and i bring my head my guitar head and they have some cabinet from i don't know it was like grand funk railroad like 1971 and had a, like a plug i've never seen i've been playing my music my whole life <laughs> i'm like what kind of input plug is this who has this cable like it literally came from i don't know the moby grape some crazy tour wow. like they don't make this anymore so the, the, 
the um, stage, you know, um, engineers like, oh shit, like we have to get a cabinet, makes these calls, classic New York moment. Uh, I'm running to Brooklyn to get a cabinet. I'm like, you're running to Brooklyn? What? You, where, how are you getting to Brooklyn? He's like, I'm taking the train. I'm like, wait. <laughs> taking the train. <laughs> Am I playing tonight? Like I was, I told Jose, I'm like, I don't think I'm playing the show. I think you guys are gonna have to play as a four piece because they're a five piece. I play rhythm guitar. I'm like, because he's going to Brooklyn to find a cabinet. I'm moving, you know, but everything's in, in, in storage. All my guitars, I pull this guitar and his head out of storage. I'm a mess, like emotionally, because I'm moving and my whole life's up. And, and he's going to get a cabinet in Brooklyn. I'm like, this is never going to happen. Five minutes before we go on, he shows up with the right cabinet. <laughs> I love it. And we I go. That. And here we I are, you know, it. 50 years old, living the same kind of crazy, precarious moment that we did. 35 years ago and it was kind of fun that's like, fun you yeah. know just a classic nutty mob moment we were like i exist for this stuff this is right. what we do this is it, it you know art art is not about I, I do i miss the yeah. live shows you know and, and the pandemic changed all that like i was talking to jose and ralph about coming back we're going to do a tribute show for jack and that's you know that's still maybe in the works me going back to new york and playing but in the meantime, you know, I started this, we were in seclusion, we were all shut down in 2020. And that's what really launched me doing Monk in the 66, because I didn't have access to the band. I was bandless mm -hmm. for the first time since I'm a kid. And that was a vehicle for me. They were my brothers, they're my friends. And they also represented parts of me that I realized that um, maybe I didn't want to explore at that time as an artist, for whatever reason I was blocked. And as 2020 closed down on all of us and we're all inside working in my studio, I had to start exploring things like vocals, lyrics, um, other guitar duties, things that I could, shore, I could share out before, which are now owned by me. And what do I want to do with that? Right. And it yeah. really challenges your artistry. It makes you step up. It makes you do a lot of things. I mean, you have to find the confidence. You have to find, you know, the trust. You have to find your voice. Yeah. In general, and, and it's a lot. And it's you have lot. to wear a lot of hats. Right. And, you know, it's I think many artists, I think all artists suffer from self-judgment, really harsh, critical judgment of their own work. Mm -hmm. It's part of our process. Um, but I think we also have to learn to not let that torpedo us and our work, because we can also do that really easily because right. no one's the harsher judge than you are on yourself. Right. So, you know, when you when I record music and then I more like there's the creative process, you write, um, you start then you start recording. It gets a little more technical and you're laying down these tracks. At a certain point, you have to move to like, I'm going to mix this. I'm going to produce this. I have to be self-critical. I have to start eliminating things. Every note I play isn't perfect. Every solo isn't great. My composition could be tweaked and you have to put on a different hat. Right. And if that hat is not self-critical, but it is, it is um, I guess, objectively critical on the work and says, this is what needs to be done to make this better. And have you, have you found yourself having a hard time doing that? Like being a producer, being the, the yeah. ear, the critical, yeah. At first, I, it was a complete um, obstacle for me. I felt like I was stuck in a creative cycle I was creating a lot when I you know as soon as I moved to California I was writing demos Monk in the 66 hadn't evolved into a project yet 
But I was writing and exploring doing different things with sound bites and drum loops and, and samples and really just trying to get into the music that evolved since I was a kid, you know, playing with cassettes. And, um, you know, it's, I, I learned that wearing those, um, you know, different hats is essential for moving your artistry along. Because what happened was I was stuck in a cycle of creativity and I wasn't moving out of it. And then I couldn't figure out why. And I have a really wise friend and he was a producer. He, was, he did live in Brooklyn and was producing in Brooklyn, uh, an engineer. And he, you know, kind of did, drew these three circles. And he said, you know, there's really three areas. There's your creative circle. And he mm -hmm. drew this circle. And then he drew this other one and kind of overlapped it. And he's like, this is the kind of the admin circle, the administrative circle. This is the one that needs to take control of the creative work. Mm. That needs to tighten it, format it, mix it, you know, cut the, the loose ends, like polish this. And then like you have that final person that's going to kind of put it out there, like do all, like, do all that work and share it and get it out. And like, I struggled to get to that person that was finishing things and producing. And then I just said, okay, I've got to learn how to separate these roles. musician role the creative role and say this song is done this project's done i'm happy with it right let's move on because you weren't doing that when you were part of the band now you're as a solo artist you have to wear a couple of different hats yeah and yeah. the band yeah. band's a democracy well <laughs> whatever Pretty they much. say about democracy yeah <laughs> you know they're a dynamic anyway right. <laughs> and there is a protocol and it's a shared responsibility for sure. And um, back when I worked in the Juice Men, which is my like 90s band, Juice Men released two albums, mm -hmm. two EPs. Um, they were produced by a real producer, you know, real producer, Sean Slade. He produced a lot of things, Dinosaur Jr., Buffalo Tom. And he used to kick us out of the studio and just say, OK, go have lunch. Don't come back. <laughs> like band leave right because i'm going i'm to doing produce. my work yeah i'm the adult in the house mm -hmm. and you're a bunch of long-haired rock and rollers right so get out and like that was in lenny kravitz's studio in waterfront in hoboken at that time so we'd go into hoboken for a couple of hours sean would do the work the grown-up work and he was real harsh he'd be like i'm cutting that guitar part i remember we had a drummer who showed up with like seven cymbals he's like he's gonna do the song he's like no x that two cymbals he's like but these are two symbols. We're not recording seven symbols. I'm not doing it. <laughs> you know, you have an adult in the room. Right. And um, I think that is the uh, is so important for the success of a song, whether you're what George Martin was for the Beatles. Right. Smokey Robinson. When you think of these great Phil Spector, you think of these greats, what they bring. They you have to, you know, artists can do it all themselves. We sure. can but sometimes the greatest thing we can do is as artists, sometimes for some of us more easy than others is to collaborate Absolutely. and have someone, someone show something on you and see something that makes that elevates. Yes. Right. And That's like, they're exactly like, right. And I, and exactly I, right. Those are magic moments. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love those things um, in music in time. I love when someone can do that. Um, and I and I also like, um, you know, lightning in a bottle kind of things. That's what I like about punk rock. Mm -hmm. um, I'm more about the loose ends. Capture it. Capture it. You know, right. like what makes like Ray Charles great 
is like, it's not because he spent like, I mean, he's Ray Charles, right? But not because he spent all this time to make it perfect. It's because what he just supercharged in that moment is all you needed to do. Like right. just capture it. Right. And I, I try to think of those. And that's what I think is beautiful in the modern moment podcast. Mm-hmm. Do sure. it yourself in, in your home studios. I really work on that though. I, I play my own music here and, and can do anything. I try to capture my capture my parts fresh, keep it loose, mm-hmm. keep the moment, walk away from it, come back. And then when I'm done with the creative thing, producer steps in and says, okay, have we decided this is the song we're going to release as a single? Okay, young man. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But Go now take you, lunch. <laughs> right, and now you have to wear that hat. So you have to decide all those things. Do you ever take, with your solo project, do you ever take um, feedback? Do you listen or, or you, is this something that you're creating now? So you're now you're trying to find out which which roads to to go down um, the project. You know, I love feedback and mm-hmm. I love people um, to, to share anything they like with me, uh, particularly in this moment. I'm really about working with an authentic voice in every way for me right now. That's mm-hmm. kind of the space I'm in, right? Authentic l- lyrics that are authentic to me, playing that is authentic to me, um, though anyone could share anything. So at that point, it's like, please, right? Like you see me in a way that's maybe different than the way I see myself. But I have to say, Marcos, like I, I write songs for me, you know, and yeah. I, I'm at a moment in my life. I'm not looking for things commercial. I'm looking for creative fulfillment. And they're like real. They can be the same. But for me, at this moment, it's like the single I just put out, Like a Man on the Moon, I, I put it out because it's authentic me in that moment. Um, I'm, you know, writing um, and it's just coming out and I want to capture it and I want to share it and I hope somebody likes it. But the more important thing is that I like it. That you um, like it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't write it with any like, I wonder if this will make this chart or I wonder if this could get on the Spotify playlist. It's cool if it does, but it's more cool that I wrote it and I finished it and I did it and I enjoyed the creative process. And maybe someone listening can say, oh, I like that. It makes me feel something or it makes me think of something or manifest something in my life. That's so much more important in the right. end, I think, for artistry. It is. Um, are you working on something right now we can take a listen to? Or do you, <laughs> <laughs> you, feel, um, like, I am. you feel like sharing anything? Yeah. Because um, we're it's, inside the artist studio. It's pretty raw. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm going to share the whole thing. Um, but we were talking about producers um, making music and... You know, um, one thing I have found in, in the Monk and the 66 Project is a lot of times I find songs that I love. I listen to music all the time. I don't watch too much TV. I listen to music um, and I stumble on songs and I just like throw them in a folder, like things that I like to cover one day because they move me. So there is a producer, writer, musician. He's passed now. His name was Johnny Bristol. He was a Motown producer. Mm-hmm. He was behind a lot of things. Um, most notably like Ain't No Mountain High Enough with Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. That's where he started. Um, he did stuff with the Supremes, uh, later did stuff with Boz Skaggs and a bunch of different artists, really, really established. He had some solo hits. Um, and so it, most notably, you might know his voice and a friend of mine from art school had taught me this later in life when I reconnected with him, that on the Supremes, um, someday we'll be together. Diana Ross is singing and there's a male singing and he's singing like there's a voice popping in and out of that song. Really? Singing pretty for me. 
that's Johnny Bristol. That's Johnny Bristol. Wow. Right? Because that's his song. And okay. he wrote it back pre-Motown and brought it to Diana Ross. That was going to be a solo single. And he's on that song singing. So that's how you might that's know That's a voice. little bit of trivia for you today, too. Wow. Yes. Okay. So that's Johnny Bristol. He's a super cool dude, wrote some great songs. So I stumble on this Boss Gags album, which is really good stuff. And I find this song called Pain of Love on it. And I'm in a really emotionally rough time, uh, relationship time, and, and emotionally raw. And I listen to the song and I go, this song is everything I want to say. I want These words are almost words to me right? Like the pain of love. Um, and, you know, the lyrics, they just really resonated with me. And so I started fooling around with it. And I started playing these things. And it has this lush orchestration. It's not something I'm going to do or would do. It's not my style. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I wonder how I can tap into this lyric because I felt like I wrote this song or the song somewhere, Johnny, he's gone for 15 years or so, but I felt like he was like, Christopher, here's this one for you. So I've been working on this and um, I'll share a little bit of it. I would love that, yeah. Not completely done, I haven't, these are all kind of first take vocals, um, guitars and stuff, but I'm trying to get the vibe to start with. So I hope the, the audio comes through for you and tell me if it does it. Let's right. see if yeah. I can do this for you. Oops, hold your horses on that one. That's my new single. My, oh. <laughs> that's out. Oh, wow. I don't want to put that. I don't know how that got <clears> on <throat> there. But it, what's, let, me, let me reboot it here. Hold on. I'm sorry about that, sir. Here we go. Pain of love. Let's bring that up. So one of the great things about working in your own studio is you have your music on hand all the time. You don't have to book studio time and you might not have the luxuries of soundproofing and all those kind of things, but you do have the luxury of comfort. That's right. Creatively <laughs> doing it at your right? own time, own time, yeah. old place, pajamas, cup of coffee. And like, come in and like, yeah, I feel like singing right. today. <laughs> this is exactly why I wanted to do this because you're in the space, you know what I mean? And you get to, we need a glimpse inside of an artist, you know, studio to see them at work. This is exactly why I wanted to do this. Very cool. So here yeah. we come. This one is uh, Pain of Love, written by Johnny Bristol and Boss Skaggs, I think around 1975, my version. Mm -hmm. Hold one more time. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Give me one more hold. This is going to okay. take another. There's a second version. That was my first version. Uh, let's close that. Sorry, I realized there was two. Um, fun fact, this is one of the rare songs that I've actually taken two or three swipes at. I usually just do something in one take and I kind of work from there. But I wasn't tapping into the emotion the right way. And um, for me. So I took a few swipes at it to get the tempo right so I could sink into it a little better in my own style. And I think I landed it on this version. Um, so I feel a little, I feel like I'm in the, in the right space to like continue some overdubs and, and, and stick with this. It's, it's kind of a fun moment in, in song creation where you go from, you know, it's an idea, it's right. a sketch. Yeah. And you're just kind of playing with it. You don't really know if it's going to go anywhere. It just may be discarded. And somehow it comes alive. 
Does that happen for you, Marcus? Yeah, of course. Something of course it do, does. Of course it does. And you're just like, yeah. whoa, it's a thing. <clears throat> Absolutely does. It's become a thing. It's and and, it, and like you kind of get this little like love for it. You're like, oh, you know, right. like I want to nurture you. Right. You're like this little creation. For me as an actor, that happens, you know. Does so, it really? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I don't, I go through the lines and I'm, I'm you know, memorizing lines and it's not until that, that moment when I get on stage and it's like everything just goes, like falls into place. That's yeah. when you, you renew your love for, for yeah, what it you, is. Maybe yeah. like love for the oh, character, yeah. love for the words I'm saying. Yeah. You can embody them where it feels like a natural right. voice. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I feel in this one. So I'll play it a little bit of it for you. I think yeah, I finally got bit. the right version. reaction <laughs> <laughs> so uh that's what i'm working on right now I love it yeah thank you yeah i like that it's 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 fun you know it's like it's scary to share it like it's it's really early for me i literally just sang those parts last night uh before i went to bed i was like i want to capture something before i fall asleep so mm-hmm. they're very imperfect but they're really like a, a lyric um that I understand, you know? Yeah. Will it make you sigh? Will it make you cry? Will it make you die? Will it make you try to just say, I can I can do it, baby, right, you yeah. know, like, and sometimes you can't, sometimes you can. And, you know, it's just kind of where we are in our spirit. And sometimes songs in, in your art, you can say things that you can't say in your real life. Absolutely right. Right, you that's, can be a And character. that's what it's there for. That's exactly what the art is there for. Yeah, you know, it's, for I, I feel, I feel blessed to have that ability yeah. to to call on it sometimes when the words elude me um, because they do a lot, you know, and yeah. I may be real wordy in some ways. <laughs> in other ways. <laughs> right. Know, so no, you're I, right. I think, it's, it's back to what we talked about in the very beginning, you know, art therapy and art being therapy for expression, 
you know, expressionism and being able to express yourself in so many different ways, you know, and, and healing and, and, and yeah, a lot of things. A yeah. Lot of things. I mean, like this, this song, uh, my current single, um, um, like a man on the moon, you know, I've been, I've been doing a lot of like therapy on just childhood trauma, things that have really troubled me in my life. Right. Um, and caused me to, you know, to suffer from depression and symptoms of that isolation and, you know, like really tough things. Um, and during like a really rough time, I was journaling and I, I do try to journal because it helps you process just like singing and acting when those mediums are sometimes maybe even too complex for a really raw emotion. Mm -hmm. One of the best things you can do is just write it, just journal it like a, like a mad person, just exactly. like, yeah. no one's going to read it. Right. Just get it out. Like it really helps you. Um, and you I feel was, like, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, do you feel like that during this pandemic time, like the last 18 months that has been, it's kind of been like a blessing and a curse. You know what I mean? Like we're all locked up. We're all, you know, isolated. But at the same time, it's also been a place where we can heal, where we can work through some issues, where we can confront some issues, where we yeah. can, you know, address some things that have been bothering us and then find a new route to do things. Exactly. You know what I mean? So like literally find a voice. Yeah. I literally found a different yeah. voice. My right. mob voice, my juice man voice, my, my, my New York voice. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and then I have this new one and it, it, and I feel like it's tapping into that. I actually looked at a, that picture of me as that little kid with the canvas painting in 1968. And I told my mother, I texted her and I'm like, that kid's calling me. Ooh. He wants me to do this. He's saying, use your art. Like that's your power. Like get, it will save you. It's what you have, right? Like it was the weirdest moment. Art will save you. Yeah, like Art that little will save you. It will. It 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 did. Right. <laughs> it yeah. did. And that little kid, me, who I had forgotten a really, really long time ago. And I looked right at him and I said, Oh my gosh, that's me, the pure me, you know, two years old. Not not bothered yet, right? Not damaged, not taught, not domesticized, not like, you know given all these rules to live by this two-year-old that's like painting and happy and it's Christmas. And he's saying, don't matter what your age is, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do or what you have to do to make a living, right? Um, you're an artist, create something. Um, you know, most things in the world weren't meant to last, they're meant for the moment. Right. Yeah. Everything doesn't have to last forever. Right. All our ancestors for tens of thousands of years, they haven't, I mean, we like things to create to things that last as humans, cave drawings and things like that. But ultimately most of what we live in life is temporary, right? It's not, it's not for longevity. Not forever. No, not at all. Not forever. And to, and when you get out of that thinking and just say, I'm going to create for the sake of creating, I'm going to create because that's what I'm made of. That's what we are all made of. Right. That's what humans are. We're creation right. machines. We dream. Mm -hmm. It's what we do, right? We right. just, we dream, we dream stuff up and then you make it real. Some people make it more real than others, but we'll do it. Any advice you give to people who, you know, are at this point in their life where you are, you know, like, and looking back on, like you just said, 
what would little Chris say to big Chris now? Um, he'd say, don't be afraid, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, don't be afraid to be you. I spent many, many years um, worried about what people would say about me or worried about how I would stack up, right? Whether that was my brother as a little kid or, or competition at work or in bands or how well could someone could play guitar better than me or whatever. And I realized it's all irrelevant. At the end, yeah. you are a unique being. There's no, there's another, no Marcos Luis, there's yes. you. Yes. Anyone could play a role, but only you could play it like you. And that may resonate with someone. It may not. It doesn't really matter. It's you doing you. Better guitar players than me, uh, better singers than me. But like the song I just played you, only one person's going to listen to Johnny Bristol that way and start playing it that way. And that's me. Interpret it that way. Yes. Right. And and honoring that and saying, you know what? I'm not too old to honor it. I may be a grandfather. I may be a mom. I may be a 13-year-old, right? It doesn't matter. Honor your authentic voice. You know, try not to be afraid because it's a scary thing to put yourself out there. It's a scary thing to talk about depression or isolation or, or your insecurities. And so many artists, we, that's what we actually are dealing with, right? Absolutely. Our insecurities. Yep. We put it on the stage. Sometimes we hide it. Right. We fake it. We become somebody else so that we can say, well, this is my characters, <laughs> but it's really right. us. But it's us. It's us. We're, we're it tapping in. Right. Like John Lennon said once, he writes, I write all these songs. I'm angry about all these people and I'll write all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I look back a couple of years later, I'm like, oh, it's about me. They're all about me. So true. How I perceive so the world, how I relate to a situation and in that moment, I may be angry at this person and right. I'm going to shoot venom. And then three years later, you look at it and you're like, why was I angry? And what was that anger about? And you're like, you know what? That song has nothing to do with that person. Absolutely. You're it's right. about me. It's about who me. Who I was in that moment. And now I could see it and go, oh, maybe not my best moment. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. That's the truth, right? And confronting those things, those, you know, demons or whatever's going on inside of you and breaking it down and being true to it and, and, Allowing yourself to express, be expressive yeah. in that way. Art is life. Yeah. Art is life. Yep. Life life is art. Like they go back and forth back and just and forth. learning to live in that um, and express it and not be afraid. And don't let your moment in time, your age, your surroundings, your trappings, whatever they may be, um, make you think less of yourself as an artist. Do it. Be proud of it. Realize the next, the next great thing you do will be the next thing you do. It will be better. Absolutely. Right. Just say, I love this for the moment. Ready to go. go. <laughs> bye bye. Fly away. <laughs> no fear and no regrets. Yeah, That's absolutely. It. That's that way to work. And it's taken right. me a really long time to find that. And it's so, okay. Yeah. It's okay. And, it's okay. And, and I hope that maybe I encourage other people to do it at any moment in their life, younger, right. older, just go for it. And I'm sure you will. I think, yeah, and I think we're going to leave them on that note. Now, first of all, I want to thank you so much for your time and thank you for taking us inside your studio and thank you for sharing the words, the wisdom, the knowledge, the gems, and of course, the first listen to your music. Uh (laughs) Thank you. Oh, that was the scariest moment of all. (laughs) And you confronted that fear. So I I did. I did it right here with you today. Today. It, It was super fun. And I, 
I'm so honored to be here Thank you. and to share and be a part of your day, which was amazing. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. So tell everybody how we can get in touch with you and how we can find you and follow you and get, get some of that music. Um, probably the easiest way is just if you're on Spotify, really any streaming platform, but Spotify, Monk and the 66, um, or Apple Music, Monk and the 66. That's really the best. I'm also on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook. Um, but I probably speak most directly through Spotify. It's just an easy artist platform and a fun one to work with. Um, so I do put a lot of energy into that as an artist, just because as an indie artist, it's a pretty powerful platform. That's right. Absolutely. Everyone, I'm going to give you his Instagram. So please make sure you follow him on there. He also has some cool videos of him on there, some pictures. Get to know Christopher Hackett. Follow him at Monk66. It's at M underscore O underscore N underscore K underscore 66 on Instagram. Make sure you follow him. Check out the music on Spotify, Apple, He's a dynamic artist, dynamic person. You can follow us at One Mike Night. One Mike Night everything. One Mike Night is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. You can listen to the audio podcast at One Mike Night Podcast with Marcos Luis. And follow us on the YouTube platform to see the podcast. And also while you're there, check out some of the old videos of One Mike Night. Back from 2006, we've been an indie platform for 15 years supporting independent artists. Also, follow me at Marcos Luis, M A R C O S L U I S, Marcos Luis Everything. Go to the dot com for both. You can find out more of what I do. And I also want to thank nyfa.org, New York City Mayor Office and New York City Cultural Affairs for the City Corps Artist Grant to help promote these artists. So thank you guys all again. Follow us, subscribe, share, rate us. We'll see you next time.